Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Well, hey everyone. Thanks so much for joining me once again today. Always a pleasure to have you with me. Uh, today we have a very interesting lineup of guests. My first guest is Catherine Matisse Zundel, and you may remember she was with with me back in um, December of last year, and we had a very interesting interview on building positive work environments. And uh, Catherine is the founder and CEO of Civility Partners in San Diego, and she delivers services in consulting, training, and coaching. Uh, she became interested in solving the problem of toxic work environments after working in one herself as a director of HR. And she spent all of grad school studying the topic and started Civility Partners immediately after graduation about 10 years ago in 2019. So I'm looking forward to an update from her a very interesting uh, interview last time. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me once again today. Thank you for having me again. My pleasure. You know, it, we got a lot of great comments last time because when business owners, and, and of course our show is about exit planning, but when business owners go to um, move towards the exit, when they say, I've got a business, I want to sell the business, it's, it's pretty well known that one of the first things that buyers look for is, well, what's the culture? What's the, what's the work environment like? What do the people, are they well-trained? Do they get along? Are there problems? And so uh, when there are problems, uh, it can kill a business owner's sale. And that's why this is very interesting content for our listeners, Catherine. Tell us a little bit, about, a little bit more about your story. It's a very interesting story. You were, you were in a toxic workplace and decided, you know, you needed to uh, address this issue. Indeed. I am a very logical, tangible, to-do oriented type of person. So when I was in this situation as the director of HR dealing with a, it was one toxic person who really made the entire workplace toxic. People started picking up on his behavior and sort of emulating him. Um, while I was in that environment, as upset and sad and even maybe depressed as I was, I also was very interested in why it was happening. And it was sort of fascinating to me that all of us people in the office, including the president, allowed this person to act that way. Cause that's really what it was. We weren't speaking up for ourselves, not one person. And people would come to me and complain as the HR, and I would talk to the president about, you know, hey, can you, you got to talk to this person, because he was my peer, the, the toxic individual. So I didn't have any, you know, cloud over him to have a conversation with him about his behavior. And um, the president just wouldn't put a stop to it. He would just kind of let it be. So long story short, I started getting my master's degree, as you mentioned, and um, was really just 
interested to understand it from a kind of that logical perspective. How is this happening? Is this a, a normal thing? And um, turns out it is. Uh, there's about 40 years of academic research on the topic. Actually, a lot of other countries have laws against uh, toxic work environments, essentially. They require uh, psychologically healthy work environments. So um, just have remained fascinated in it ever since. <laughs> Can you tell me, you know, I would imagine this, as you mentioned, this, this starts at the HR level. That's their, that's their job is to take care of all things human uh, resources related, right? right. And so right. Uh, how, how well, um, I know there are designations, uh, professional designations that HR people can go through. There's some, some really good ones. Do they teach a lot about conflict resolution? They do not. They do not. And I'll say I've found that there are two types of HR professionals. There are HR professionals who believe their job is benefits, payroll, the administrative stuff, the forms, the rules, the compliance. And then the other type of HR professional are people who are focused on strategy and people. And those types of HR professionals know that if you focus on strategy and people, that the other compliance stuff will fall into place. People are less inclined to violate the rules if they're happy, and they're more apt to talk about it if they're unhappy because the culture facilitates that. So um, the designations um, haven't seemed to make a difference. I feel like it's more about just how that person maybe grew up in HR. Uh, I know your listeners are business owners uh, looking to exit at some point. Um, sometimes it's the, the CEO who's part of the problem with HR's inability to be more strategic and people-oriented if the CEO sees the HR right. professional as um, the a cost center who's supposed to do benefits and payroll and compliant, then the HR person will not be allowed to flourish into that better type of HR professional. So uh, a lot of it yeah, has to do yeah. with the relationship, you know. Really good point. And, and of course, uh, uh, what you mentioned to me before our call was that, and you mentioned this in our last interview, I should have remembered, but there are new harassment prevention laws in the state of California, at least, where mm -hmm. what used to be uh, for 50 or more employees is now needs to be dealt with at five or more employees. And you don't have uh, um, designated HR people in some of these companies. They wear multiple hats. These are people that wear multiple hats, and they probably have their hands full right. with just keeping up with compliance and, and all the changing rules. Right. So so tell us a little bit about that that new harassment prevention law that is it just California? Did this have a sweeping effect in other states across the country? Actually, yeah, interestingly, New York and Illinois both just passed uh, training, mandatory training laws as well. But California has had this training law in place for quite a while. And, and as you said, it's now been brought into companies with five or more employees. So my whole point has been, you know, now you've got a group of employees who pr may have never even heard about harassment prevention or, or harassment or sexual harassment. I mean, I've, I've been doing this training now and um, the, all this year, you know, and, and getting these types of comments of like, wow, I didn't know that. And um, so now employees are in even really small businesses are 
empowered. They know what the repercussions are for the organization if they were to sue. They know what the organization's responsibilities to them are. And so, um, you know, but back to our point about compliance versus people, if you're in a small business, your HR person is also the office manager and the bookkeeper and, and has those other types of jobs. Um, yeah, they are probably more focused on compliance or just trying to keep up. But now, you know, these employees have been trained on this law. So I guess my tip here is if you haven't done the harassment prevention training already and you're in California, find a trainer who's going to deliver a training that's more preventative. So there's some trainings that are just so focused on the law and how the law defines sexual harassment and, you know, what the obligations are according to the law. That checks the box. But if you can find a different type of trainer that's talking about how to stand up for yourself, how to have a positive relationship with your boss and kind of that more preventative stuff in the training, uh, I think that would be better for any organization. Of course, that's the kind of training I do. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, that's why we're talking. And I would imagine, yes, there, there's two types of, of situations here. There are those that say, okay, we have to do this. The law says we have to do this. So everybody, uh, come on in here. Let's go through this as quick as possible. That, that's one. That's one set of situations. Yep. And you have other situations where this is actually happening in the workplace. This is a big problem, and it needs to be dealt with in a in a professional way. And so it might be that. Um, I mean, my big question would be, do those prevention classes uh, actually translate into less um, uh, situations where harassment, or is it, is it just going to happen one way or the other just based on the people? How, how can that training help people to kind of defuse what might be a, a situation that, that's going to happen? Yeah, I, I think um, the first Part of the answer is, again, you know, a training that does give more preventative communication skills type of information beyond what's required in the law. And the other half of the answer is related to the culture and the owner and whoever are the leaders or managers in your organization. What it boils down to is your best bet against sexual harassment claims are, is a culture where people feel comfortable to say something so that they'll tell you about it instead of going to an attorney and asking an attorney what their rights are. So you have to make people feel comfortable. So to your point about if we just do a check the box, everybody get in here, let's hammer this out in two hours and get back to work. If that's how you frame your training, you're not making it safe for people to speak up because of the message you've sent that this is just a, we have to do this, let's move on versus, if you know a leader stands in front of the room and says this is important i want to make sure we all learn how to speak up for each other i want you to know i want you to tell me if something's going on um, and really showing that support now you're sending the message that you're interested in solving it and interested in hearing what people have to say and that they are say it's a safe environment it's a safe space for people to talk very very interesting great point and I can give a real-life example. I had a client that wanted to sell his business to another business owner, and they were they were in talks, but they said, you have this one employee who is just a, a bully, and we don't want that in our culture. We don't want that coming over into all, our culture. And um, they, they dealt with it. They actually had to finally terminate the employee, and once that bully was out of the picture, the sale went through. Um, 
everything worked out just fine. But w again, one one bad apple can upset the whole apple cart. Is that the old saying? <laughs> I guess something like that. Right, right. Um, I, and actually, I have an example too. I just had lunch with someone yesterday who is a really funny, super nice guy. He's a business owner. He sells insurance. Um, and he was telling me a story about his female employee who, where a vendor was making inappropriate comments to her. And he overheard one of the comments. And so he stepped in and told the vendor, that's not appropriate. I don't want you to be our vendor anymore and, and fired this vendor. Kudos to him. But what struck me about the story was the female then to tells him, thank you for doing that. I never would have brought it up. I wouldn't have told you about it. And so here she would have just continued to take that from this vendor all the while being frustrated by it. She wouldn't have told this boss who does, I would imagine, make it fairly comfortable to speak up. Uh, and the point I'm trying to make with this story is that it's really hard for people to speak up. So, um, you know, it's career ending. It can be. It may, it's making waves. So just because you're a nice person doesn't mean people will feel comfortable to tell you things. So you really have to make a point of letting people know you're interested in solving these types of problems um, because they, they, as nice as you might be or as great as your culture might be, they may not tell you. Um, That's what struck me from the story yesterday. That's a great point. So it sounds like a, a lot of the the idea of training, the benefit of training is to give people a procedure to use uh, uh, uh -huh. to to actually uh, deal with this and report this before it blows up and and you end up uh getting sued by by an attorney. Right, right. Yeah, it gives people the procedures and it gives you an opportunity to springboard into more conversation about your culture and that you care about people feeling safe. Excellent. So I have a question for you. A lot of uh, employers have now more more and more remote in workers. Uh, and they mm -hmm. don't, you know, they don't see each other. They don't deal with each other. And and for instance, I know that uh, people uh once they get in their cars, people talk to other drivers in a not so nice way a lot of the time, right? They would never do that right. standing in line at the bank. Uh, hey, you cut me off, you SOB. They would never do that. Right. But they'll do that when they're they're disconnected from the other human being. And so my question is, um, are, are workers becoming less civil when they can't see each other? And if so, what can an employer do to promote harmony amongst remote employees? So the answer is yes, that people are less civil over the Internet. Um, a big problem is that when you're looking at your computer screen, it's hard to empathize with the person you're writing the email to because you can't see them. You can't see their face. Um, so that, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to just fire off an email or a text or whatever um, in a way that you would not say in person because you can't see, their, see them. And there's also a sense of anonymousness, and, and I can't say that word, and, and anonymity. <laughs> I'll say anonymousness. That's okay. We'll take um, that. If you're... The judges, <laughs> judges say yes. <laughs> um, if you're looking at your computer, even though you might be emailing, you know, John, the person you've been working with for a couple of years, there's this weird feeling of um, that, that John doesn't know you or can't see you, and so you're sort of anonymous. So, yeah, there's a lot working against you. 
um, through what's called computer-mediated communication. So um, as with everybody, society in general has gotten more uncivil with the Internet, people making terrible comments to each other and, you know, in chat rooms and things. Um, so what can a company do? Well, that means the company has to do whatever it can to ensure that employees see each other as people and not some random person off somewhere that they're, you know, not connected to. So the more you can do things like video calls, um, the more you can bring your employees together in person. Uh, if you've got people all over the place, you know, maybe at, at the very least once a year, getting people together in person where they can meet. Um, trying to figure out ways to have sort of employee staff meetings or get togethers on, on the phone or on video chat. So for example, you know, a lot of offices go out for happy hour on a Friday. So perhaps you could do a, a video chat happy hour, you know, or, or morning coffee. And so if you can emulate some of the normal patterns that an office would have where you work together, um, mm -hmm. that, that's the best tip for you is finding ways to emulate that same sort of behavior over the, over yeah, the yeah. I read about a company that's, that does, uh, just video hangouts, if you will. And, and the idea is uh, for the next hour, nobody talks about work. We're just, let's, let's just hang out and talk about whatever else is on your mind. Um, it, but it, it's an interesting phenomenon because the, the statistics are, are basically trending towards remote workers, um, and, and mm -hmm. you know, I noticed that, again, you know, well, here's another question. If employees are having a dispute, what's the best medium for them to use to communicate, and, and what's the worst? If they're uh, far away from each other, the best medium is to pick up the phone and call. If they're in mm. the same city, but still, you know, they're remote, but in the same city and within driving distance, even better if they could go and drive and meet somewhere and have coffee or lunch. Um, definitely text and email is the worst. So you've got to be able to hear someone's voice, whether phone or in person, if you're resolving a dispute. Um, or, or a video chat I might be okay with so that you can at least see facial expressions. But um, the best, absolute best would be to do it in person where you can see the entire messaging all of the body language and the posture and the facial expressions. Um, but I think and, we've all had and you can shake problems hands over at the email. End. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, exactly. But uh, we've all had problems over email, I'm sure. And uh, so we've all, we all know that's not the best way to go about it. Um, I, I get a good rule of thumb is if you're writing an email and you're having a hard time getting out what you need to say or you have to kind of keep writing it or rewriting it, then that's a signal that you should pick up the phone instead. Very good, very good. Now, uh, tell us uh, in the last couple minutes, Catherine, what um, our listeners should do uh, to deal to be in compliance. In compliance, excuse me. Now I can't talk uh, with some of the new harassment prevention laws. Um, t tell us what they need to do and and how to get in touch with you to to make sure it happens correctly. Yeah, thank you. So in California, you have to, if you have five or more employees, you have to train everybody. Um, by January 1 of this upcoming year, so you've only got a little bit of time left. Uh, employees need an hour of training, and managers and supervisors still need that two hours. Um, we actually are doing webinars, so we can do it for any company all over California without it being too expensive. Uh, our email or our website is civilitypartners.com. 
and you can email me at info at civilitypartners.com and we'll hook you up. Uh, webinars are a great way to go. They're live. They're fun. We're doing them once a month. Of course, happy to come and do it in person for you as well. Um, but uh, I'm really passionate about the fact that this training really needs to be about communication and building relationships along with the required compliance stuff. So um, hopefully I'll see some of your listeners at my training. I hope so, and I really appreciate you being a resource for our listeners. Uh, Catherine Matisse Zundel, and again, it's civilitypartners.com. Uh, look it up. Take care of this, this important issue. Catherine, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to have you on, and uh, I'll invite you back in a few months because things are always changing in your field, and we want to keep on top of those trends as well. Sounds, sounds good. I love it. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio.